I invite you to take your Bibles tonight and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Still talking about our total commitment series, being like Jesus. Probably the most famous book that addresses that subject in novel form was written in 1896 by a guy whose name is Charles Sheldon. He wrote a massively successful novel titled In His Steps, sold tens of millions of copies, still selling to this day. Became one of the best-selling books, really, in all of history. Um, the book opens up in the study of Pastor Maxwell, who is the pastor of a church in a little town in Raymond, near Chicago. He's attempting to compose his sermon for the next Sunday, and he is interrupted by a man who knocks at his door and uh, seems to be not doing well and, and asks for some sort of work or employment so that he could gain some money. The pastor was nice to him, but he didn't have anything for him, and so ended up turning him away. In the book, it wasn't the last time that he would see Jack Manning, that was the guy's name, because he shows up the next Sunday because during that week he had gone around other places uh, throughout the community, many of whom were members of the church where Pastor Maxwell was, and asked if anyone could give him a job or help him out in some way. He wasn't looking for a handout. He wanted to work, but no one helped him. So that next Sunday he comes to Pastor Maxwell's church, and right in the middle of his sermon he walks down the middle aisle and interrupts the sermon. And he challenges everyone at church that Sunday to honestly reflect on whether they are living up to the ideals of their professed faith. Everyone is taken back by that, and they don't really know what to make about, of it if you read the book. That very next week, uh, Jack Manning is at Pastor Maxwell's house and telling him the story of his life, and he actually dies in his living room. After Jack's death, Pastor steps into the pulpit the next day, and he issues a challenge to his entire congregation. And here's what the challenge was. To pledge to live for an entire year according to one question. That one question has become famous, still is to this day, WWJD, and it is, yes, what would Jesus do? That question that the pastor challenged them to answer and everything small and great they did for a year changed that entire congregation. And the whole rest of the book is about how people's lives were turned upside down by being faithful to ask and answer that question in everything they did. People gave up certain jobs to do other things, to use their life in ministry. People changed their idea about what their future were, how they were going to use their money, how they were going to use their time, what really was important in life. And the whole story is about how it turned everything upside down. Eventually, the congregation, um, also because they were so moved by it, started to do work in what was called the rectangle. The rectangle was a very, very poor neighborhood, had crime, a lot of difficulties going on there. And people started to move into that area, started to do work in that area. They ended up partnering with another church. They started a house for uh, women who were really struggling and taught them skills. They opened a halfway house in Chicago. And all kinds of ministry took place and lives were changed that never would have otherwise, all because they asked that question, what would Jesus do? 
Um, the book and its title, um, In His Steps by Charles Sheldon, was taken from the passage that we're going to read tonight. It's our text. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 reads, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, here's our phrase, so that you might follow in his steps. That's where Charles Sheldon got the idea for the book. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls." Only two times in the New Testament, in the English translation, do we get Jesus' life depicted as an example. One is in our text that we just read, and the other one is John 13, 15, when Jesus at the Last Supper washes his disciples' feet, and he says, do you know what I've done unto you? And he says, I've given you an example that you should do to each other just as I have done unto you. The two words, for example, are different. They're similar, but they're different. The one in John 13 is a Greek word that means to be a pattern of, to follow the model of someone. Jesus is not saying that you wash feet and that's a sacrament of the church or something like that. He's saying that you ought to treat one another and serve one another humbly, just like I have done to you. The other one, our text, the word example, is a different Greek word and it means, it actually was taken from a school setting where children in first century would have a wax tablet, and in it would be engraved the letters of the alphabet of whether language they were, and they would put something over the top of it, and they would trace out the exact letters so they could learn their, we would say their ABCs. They would learn how to memorize the letters and what they were like and how you wrote them because you would just trace right over, and it would produce an exact copy. That's what Peter is telling his people. He's saying, this is what you were called to. That in your suffering and your response to it and all the difficulties that you face in life, he says, you should be an exact copy of Jesus. You should follow in his steps. So WWJD, if you ask the question, how would those two texts want you to answer it? You cannot answer the uh, question, what would Jesus do properly, if you do not have these things in your hands a towel, and a cross. Those two passages make that very, very clear to us. So let me put it to you this way. Following in his steps will involve two things, if you're looking for an outline. Submissive serving, and at times, submissive suffering. Before I get to the exact verses, let me tell you, we're going to do some, if you're going to write these down tonight, I'm going to give you the context of what 1 Peter's all about And it'll very, very much help you about how to understand our little paragraph much more clearly. The book of 1 Peter is framed this way. 
It's about good versus evil. Um, the word good is used 17 times in 1 Peter. And here's what it's coupled with. It's coupled with numerous times do good, good deeds, doing good, good days, good conscience, good behavior, good stewards, the Lord is good, good news. Over and over again, it's saying, hey, here's how you live good. But it's not that simple because you don't just live good in a vacuum. Here's what Peter says, and here's why you need to be like Jesus, because you need to live good when everything and everyone else around you is evil. And that's why the word evil is used a number of times, in fact, seven times, and often in contrast to good. So the example of Jesus allows us to do this. It allows us to do good in a countercultural way, especially when you are being unjustly treated. Right? So how do we do good when people are doing bad to us? How, when we are mistreated, do we respond to it? When we're not spoken to right or acted upon right or we're not given a fair shake in life, how do you respond to that? Well, let me tell you what else the framework of 1 Peter tells us. In our context, our, our chapter, it begins with 2.18. If you look at the text, it says this. Servants be subject. Circle that because our text is about being submissive. And the first part is about masters and their slaves. But listen, you got to see the whole thing because this is just one of many admonitions about being submissive. And I'm going to take the time and you can circle them and I'm going to show you all of them. Chapter 2 and verse 13 starts with this. Be subject. And he goes from this, I would say this, this big submissive funnel like this. He starts off broad, everyone, and it's about government and kings. And you have to realize 1 Peter is written with Nero, who is tyrannical and awful in about every possible way. He would make our politicians look fantastic today, right? So he, he, he's, he says, everyone, you're going to be submissive, right? Everyone. Now it's going to go like this and get more narrow as he goes through chapter 2 and 3. So he goes from everyone, and then he goes to verse 18, of chapter 2, and he talks about slaves. And then in just next one, chapter 3 and verse 1, likewise wives, likewise, likewise to what? What we just talked about. Wives, you be subject to your own husbands. He says it again in verse 5. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. Everyone submits, slaves submit, wives submit, Chapter 3 and verse 22, angels, powers, and principalities, they all will end up submitting to Jesus because he is resurrected Lord. Chapter 5 and verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. See that? So he's, he's just narrowing it down. So he, here's the thing. And in, let me tell you, in our individualic, individualistic Western culture, where everybody wants to do their own thing and they don't want to have anybody telling them what to do, right? Including our teenagers, right? They don't want anybody telling you that you should do this, that you have to do this, and you can't. Listen, it's very difficult to hear the word submissive, right? It smacks of patriarchal communities and past ancient antiquated ways and submitting to someone isn't really in vogue today quite at all, is it? But here's what... Here's what the Bible says, and here's what Peter says. You will need to be submissive as a Christian in almost every area of your life. So 
What does that mean for us? So if you're going to be like Jesus, if you're going to do good in an evil culture, here's one thing you cannot miss out on, powering under. You cannot do it and respond correctly and be good and fulfill your obligation to be like Jesus without knowing something about humility and submissiveness to people who have authority over you. And he very much makes us to understand in verses 18 and 19, it's not just for the masters over you that treat you really good. Anybody can do that. You don't have to be a Christian. Anybody can be really good if your boss at work is super nice and promotes you all the time, gives you raise, extra days off. That doesn't take a lot to be submissive to, right? But it's when you don't get the raise and you get passed over for office politics and you don't get the raise and somebody else who has an end because they have a relative or a, well, you know what I'm talking about. That's when it becomes very difficult. So here's what, it, to be like Jesus is one thing. But to be like Jesus, an exact copy of him in everyday life, right? Did you see this? Master, slave, where you work, we'd say today. Wives, the husbands in your home. See, to be like Jesus every day at your job and in your marriage, and your spouse is not a believer, and they don't always treat you right, and in all the everyday places and all the everyday ways of life, see, it doesn't happen just in a vacuum. It happens in real life situations. So people, Peter is talking to us in a very relevant way. To be like Jesus is something that we have to do every day, but we have to be able to do it in real life circumstances. Jesus himself. In fact, every single one of the times in 1 Peter, the word submissive used, it's a word Tasso, and it means to align yourself or place yourself under someone. In fact, the most common use of it is in a military setting. Is that you're, you're a sergeant and you put yourself under someone who's a captain or whatever the rank above you, and you have to put yourself under them for good or bad. That's what the idea It's the same word used of Jesus when he was 12, went to Jerusalem, his parents couldn't find him. They finally find him. He tells them, why, why don't you think I wouldn't be about my father's business or my father's house? And it says, and he went back to where they were living and he was subject unto them. Even Jesus, the son of God, was submissive to his own parents. See, it's countercultural. It's not acceptable today to have submissiveness be a lifestyle. Now, in our two texts, John 13 and 1 Peter 2, what makes it even more profound and influential and impacting in our life is considering that Jesus did this as an example for suffering servants. He suffered. He submitted himself to the Father's will. He submitted himself to the Roman government. He submitted himself to the Jews who wanted to have him killed and did. He submitted that to himself to that. Listen. And he submitted himself, John 13, to being Lord and teacher, taking off his outer garment, getting down on his hands and knees and washing his disciples' feet. And here's what he says to him on that night. He says, you call me Lord and teacher, and so I am. He is Lord. He is their rabbi. He's the teacher. And the idea is culturally, they should be on their feet washing his. 
It shouldn't be him taking. When you take your garment off and pick up the basin and get down on your knees, that is the job of the most menial slave in the house. The master never did any of those things. But Jesus did. Here's what he's saying. You want to be like me? Here's what it means to be humble and lowly, right, and submissive. When you're up here, you live like you're down here. See, that's the difference. And wonder if that happened, if that was the way it was in your marriage, if that was the way that you parented, if that was the way that you pursued relationships, if that's how you saw ministry in church, what would the difference be? Jesus says, yeah, I am up. He didn't deny it. He wasn't downplaying it. He wasn't minimalizing the fact that he was Lord and teacher. In fact, in the text, it says it twice. I am teacher and Lord. I am. But he says, I've left you a pattern. I've left you an example. Here's what you do with power positions. You ignore it. You get down on your hands and knees and you serve other people. 1 Peter 2, 21 says, I've, he says, I've left you an example as, and we don't see it this way often, Christ. Christ suffered for you. Christ, the anointed one. Every time you see Christ in scripture, think of this word, king. So Jesus says here, I'm king on the throne, but I got off the throne, laid aside my crown of jewels to take a crown of thorns. See, that's the movement. So let me tell you, First, check yourself tonight. If you're going to be like Jesus in a world, if you're going to be a person, the pattern of your life is doing good when you're surrounded by and treated evil, here's the one thing you have to be submissive. You have to be downwardly mobile. You have to be willing to get down. You have to have this in your hands, a cross and a towel. That's what Jesus says. Now, if you are pursuing those things and you get low, then you'll be able to do things you're never able to think you ever could do before. In the book, in his steps, people were doing things and giving up things and serving people, kinds of people, in the way they never had before. There had been people in the book who never had been and stepped a foot in the rectangle, the place where the poor and the needy were. No one, there are many people who lived close to it but had never been in it, much less rub shoulders with people and serve them and do all those things. But once they got a picture of what it really meant to be Christ-like, it changed. It changed everything. Can I tell you that's why we have mosaic? Because it's what Jesus would do. You know why? Because that's who he spent a lot of time with. People whose needs were far greater than his own. People who needed help. They needed someone to love them. And it wasn't because they were going to come to him. He had to go to them. That's why we have Panama. You, you realize while we're starting a ministry where we train men to have certain skills to be able to get a job that they can provide for their own home. That's why we have pastoral training and have people that come from the islands and spend all kinds of time just to get there. And we provide technology and iPads for them and train them. You know why? Because they don't have books to study. Some of them don't even have Bibles. And so we provide those things for them and we send people to teach them. You know why? Because we're ministering to people because that's what you have when you have humility. That's why we send money and help out in Venezuela and we provide food for the children there. They don't have anything. Why? Because when you have 
as your desire to be like Jesus. It moves you to places. I looked up this week a lot of songs, and you know there's a lot of them, and maybe you are familiar with some of them. I asked Pastor Dave a few. I asked my wife. But they're old hymns, really old hymns. Some of them not. But there's a song that used to go, Be Like Jesus. You, you know, anybody? I'm sorry, Stanley. I didn't mean to look at you there. Right? Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus, this my song, in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. You remember that song? That's old, isn't it? Some of you at below 50 are going like, what in the world are you talking about? Oh, to be like Jesus. Oh, to be like thee. It's, listen to these words. This is my constant longing and prayer. Boy, that's convicting, isn't it? Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, I got to put it on every day. Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Remember this song, this one? Footprints of Jesus. Remember this one? Some of these old people are going like, yeah, I'm liking this. Right? It was written by a pastor's wife. And she wrote Sunday school material for children. And you know what she did on her spare time? She risked things because she worked in the Underground Railroad. Because you know what happens when you fall in the footprints of Jesus? You know, it just, it's nice, isn't it, to write children's material? But how about working clandestine in the Underground Railroad and risking your life for people who are so needy that no one wants to help? See, that's, she didn't just write the song, she lived it. The chorus goes, We will follow the steps of Jesus where'er they go, even if it's Underground Railroad. Stepping in the light. Remember that one at all? Shaping our lives by his blessed example. See, that's what it's about tonight. It's not just saying, hey, I want to be like Jesus, as good as that is. It's not just simply asking a question about what would Jesus do or wearing a bracelet with those initials on it. It's all good stuff, right? But, but it's living it out every day <laughs> and let, letting it take you places and be around people that you never thought you would ever think about doing those things for. So let's look at our text with all that in mind. And let's see what the Bible says about how we can respond rightly and follow Jesus in his steps even when we suffer. Look at the text, would you? It's verse 21. I'm sorry, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters. That's the main command. Everything's, let me just give you the whole structure, and then you can learn to study the Bible for yourself, and also we'll learn some things together. The main verb is a participle. Keep submitting yourselves, slaves. Why? Because if you've got somebody who's beaten you, right, you're not too hot on submitting to them. And that happened in the Roman world. So he keeps telling them, you keep submitting yourself. Now, if you're looking for a way to figure out what the Bible wants to teach you in a passage, you got to look for the little connector words, all right? And there are four of them, and it's the exact same word, and they all tell you how, to real, how do you submit to your masters. What does that mean for you? Why would you do it? So he's going to give them four reasons, and I'm going to show you. Each one is marked off by the little word for, F-O-R. So he tells them, you be subjects to your masters, the good ones and the bad ones. Verse 19 starts with the word for, circle it. Verse 20 starts with the word for. Verse 21 starts with the word for. And verse 25 starts with the word for. See, he's building an argument. He's telling them, you be submissive in the most difficult situation. And when you're suffering, you still do it. 
And then I'm going to give you four reasons why you should. And we're going to unpack them and tackle them one at a time very quickly. The first two go together, verses 19 and 20. And they have a little, if you want to look at it, they have a little bracket. And he's going to tell you what he's trying to say. See the little phrase that begins verse 19 and verse 20 ends it? And it's this phrase. This is a gracious thing. Do you see that? This is a gra- it starts at little phrases and it ends it. And the word gracious thing, believe it or not, it's the same word used in this text in 1 Peter and it's translated rejoice. So he's going to tell you this. You know why? Give me reason number one. Here's the reason why you should submit to masters. Not just the good ones, but even the bad ones. Because it's going to give you an opportunity to do good in the face of evil. And you have a chance to influence those ones who are being evil to you. And in that you can rejoice. He's not asking them to rejoice in being beaten. He's asking them to rejoice in the fact that they take it. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus submitted himself to unjust treatment, even to the place of the cross. And then he says to them, don't, listen, don't just, you can't take submission and you have to submit because you're being sinful. He says, if you sin against your master and you rebel and he beats you, that's not what you endure in a good reason. That's not a gracious thing. That's not, a, that's not something to rejoice. Don't sin when you're suffering. He says, but when you get unjustly treated and you endure it when you're doing good, he says, then you can rejoice. That's something that is gracious. In the text, the only other place the word beaten, of slaves being beaten, is used of Jesus. Once in Matthew, once in Mark. And it's the word that they said when Jesus, remember they said to Jesus, hey, prophesy, Messiah, who just slapped your face? Remember that? That's the word. It means to ball up your fists, and it's not this kind of a slap, it's this kind of a slap. That's what they did to Jesus. And they said, hey, remember how they mocked Jesus, and they hit him in the face, in his face, and they spit on him? Remember that? See, he followed before you, and so when they treat you like that, here's how you respond, because you're trying to be like your master, not that master, but that one. See, then you can be different about it. In fact, you don't have to turn there. We don't have time. But later on in this book, he says, and when you suffer as a Christian, 1 Peter 4, 16. See, because when you're a Christian, which means little Christ, when you're trying to be like Jesus, you don't respond to suffering the same way everyone else does. Do you know the word Christian is only used two times in the Bible? We call people that mainly. We ought to call ourselves disciples because that's used over 250 times. Christian is only twice. Once here and once in Acts 26, 18. And the word actually was derived from pagans who called believers that. And it was not a very good word at first. They mocked them and said, you must be, you act like a little Christ. But that eventually stuck on. Peter uses it and says, hey, if you want to be a little Christ in your everyday life where you are slaves... Here's what you got to do. You got to learn to respond to evil in a good way, even when you are mistreated. Interesting. In a shame and honor culture, where being shame was everything and honor was everything, here's what he says 
You find your honor and glory even when you're beaten as a slave to responding right like Jesus. Now, see, here's the thing, and this is one way you can tell. Ask your, this is the way you can tell. How am I being like Jesus in really difficult times? Can I tell you this? When you are really, your aim and focus is to be like Jesus, it'll change your perspective on everything. It'll change your perspective on what is honorable and what is shameful. It'll reverse all of it. And in our world, they'll think, oh, this, you, you never want to do that. Don't let people run over you. Don't let them run over you. Don't you let them, you don't power, we power over people. We get our rights and we demand this. And there are, I'm sure there are times and places for that. But let me tell you this. See, that's what honor in our culture is. Standing up for yourself. Someone says something to you, you say it back to them, and then you add something to it. And you're going to treat me like that? You haven't seen anything yet, Right? See, that's, our, that's what honor is. In our, but see, in the Bible, that kind of stuff is shameful if you're a Christian. It's really turning everything upside down on its head. And that's what, look at the text. In verses 22 through 25, after our example verse, he's going to tell them, verse 21, here's the third four, the little F-O-R. So the first reason is, right, the two gracious things. See, those are the first two reasons. The third one is this, verse 21. For this you were called. For to this you were called. Now the word called is used six other times in 1 Peter. And it talks about you being saved. When you are called and Jesus calls you to follow him, he says in one verse, you are called out of darkness. You are called to be holy. You are called to his eternal glory. In other words, if you are saved and he called you, this is part of the package. So we should not have the expectation that when we live for Jesus and we try to live counterculturally and we do good, that it's always going to turn out roses and God is going to honor that and it means blessing in my life. No, it means you may lose your job. You may lose friends. I talk to people, including today, of people who are doing the right thing and their families hate them for it. Hate them for it. It will not always turn right. Here's what he says, but don't ever forget, listen to this reason. You were called to this. You see, listen, following Jesus and being like him in difficult circumstances, it's not optional. You were called to it. You're called to it, he says. Now, in the remainder of these verses, 22 through 25, if you didn't pick it up by just listening to it when I read it, Here's what Peter does. He uses four quotations out of Isaiah 53. You know the whole passage. We all know this passage very well about Jesus being the suffering servant who dies. All we like sheep have gone astray. You can see it in the last verse pretty easy, right? But he uses four quotes from the same chapter, arranges them in his own order because here's what he wants you to get. Listen to this. Go back and read it differently this week. Read all of Isaiah 53. And every time you normally read Isaiah 53, here's what you see it as. This is a thing about Jesus dying for my sins. This is him sacrificing himself, atoning for my sin. And it is all of that for sure, praise God. But have you ever thought of Isaiah 53 looking at it as not, the, not just what he did for me, but what I'm supposed to do for him. Meaning, it's an example passage. You know, Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, he wanted to know who the man was in Isaiah 53 who was being talked about. 
See, and we normally think of, oh, Jesus died for me. And that's a great text with Jewish people or Gentiles for evangelism. And we think evangelism, but how about this? Think example. Look at the passages and what it says and how Peter uses them here and say, see, that's a text, not only what Jesus did when he died for me, but how I'm to live for him. Because here's what he's quoting him for. Because you're supposed to follow in his what? Yes. The example of his atonement is for you to follow. What does that mean? Quickly, let me show you. Two things. Two parts of being an example of Jesus. Number one, look what he did not do when he was treated unjustly. And then look what he did do. Verse 22 reads, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Now watch, three times, circle them all. Here's how you study the Bible. When he was reviled, when he suffered, right? So when, 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 right? And then he's going to put, he did not, he did not, he did not. See all those things? So Peter's going to tell you, following the example of Jesus means when you're unjustly treated, there are things you will not do. Here's what you won't do. And now watch, because here's where we all struggle. It's all about verbal things. Look at the text. He didn't have any deceit where? In his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not what? He didn't throw it back in their face. He didn't say things back. When he was threatened, what does it say? He didn't threaten back. What's the only thing that came out of his mouth? Father, into your hands I commit my... Yeah, he just kept on trusting God. See, listen to this. He was treated unjustly, but trusted God who did justly. He did not expect people to give him righteous treatment, but he expected himself to be righteous, and in the end, God would righteously vindicate him. He didn't have to have his rights now. He didn't have to be vindicated now. And you know what he said? So when he was talked to a certain way and people were raising his voice and mocking him, you know what? Everyone else, I've read the annals of history and here's what even pious Jewish people do. The last thing they did if they were really committed to God is they would curse their enemies and die. That's not Jesus. He forgives his enemies and dies. You know why? Because he's completely different. And what comes out of his mouth came from his heart. And you know what was in his heart? Not threats, not reviling. They, weren't, they were mocking him. He did not mock them back. In fact, half the time or more when they were threatening him with charges that they couldn't prove, it says he didn't even open his mouth. He didn't feel he had to tell everybody. He didn't have to defend himself. He didn't have to do all those things. Why? Because he knew his father would take care of it. So that's the quotations. Isn't it amazing that in Isaiah 53, all those passages about, he quotes, and it's to servants, and that whole passage is about the suffering servant. I mean, you can't be more encouraged if you're a slave and saying, hey, be like Jesus. You know why? Because you're a slave and he was a slave. You were mistreated, he was mistreated. And when they really came after him, he didn't say things back to them. In fact, they beat him, and he took the beating. He took the nails. He took the spit. He took the slaps. He took the thorns. He took the nails. Now watch. 
That's what he did not do. And, and, and that would be enough for all of us to stay busy for a couple lifetimes, right? I mean, when we're really being mistreated, someone writes us an email, we're going to write them back. They're going to put something on Facebook. <laughs> you can't wait to see I'm putting on Facebook. Right? Tell me that isn't true. See, Jesus didn't do any of that. Watch, though, but that's not it. He, didn't, he did not just not do bad things. See, he's trying to get them not to sin when they're suffering. So he says Jesus did not commit sin. But he did more than that. What does the Bible say about sin? He didn't do it himself. But here's the craziest countercultural thing. Verse 24 says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Now, it, now, that's just overwhelming. Not only did he not sin, but he took everybody else's sin. I mean, are you serious? You expect me not to say anything to people who are unjust, and then you want me to take their sins? See, that's love, isn't it? I mean, that is the greatest love there can possibly be, that you're not going to go after their sins Instead, you're going to take them, bear them yourself. You're going to carry. You don't commit sin, but you carry sins. There is no other life of example like that. No one else could do that but him. But we can be like him. What would happen? We wouldn't even need social media if we got that down. Right? And he says, and he bore them on the tree. You know, the only person who preaches that phrase is Peter. Two times, Acts 5 and Acts 10. He's before great crowds, religious crowds, non-religious crowds. One was Cornelius' house. And you know, he's the only person who preaches Jesus being hung on a tree. You know why? Because it means something. You know what it means? It's Deuteronomy 21, 23, and it says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You know why he says it in this text? You know why it's absolutely crucial? Because you're thinking, how in the world can I not sin when someone treats me like that verbally, and how can I be so nice that I would sacrifice myself for them, the people who are actually being rude to me? He says, you know how? Because you've been freed. Because Jesus died, he took the curse. He has freed you. He's liberated you. You don't have to get revenge. You don't have to have your rights. You don't have to be vindicated in this life. You don't have to win the argument. You don't have to be proven right. You don't have to get your pound of flesh. You don't have to do any of those things. Why? You've been freed. You've been freed from the curse, he says. And then he says this, ready? So that we might die to sin and live by, to righteousness. See, Jesus, listen to this. Jesus died for your sins so that you could die to your sins. That's why he died. He died to his temptations, and now his cross has liberated and emancipated you so that you can do it to yours. You can. So you can close your mouth and open your heart at the same time because he did. And his tree, his tree, has freed you from the curse of living like everybody else. And then he says wonderfully, and by his wounds, King James stripes, you are healed. Oh, can you imagine what slaves are thinking when he says wounds and stripes? And they're thinking like, oh, I remember, I, I look in the mirror if they had, look at the stripes, I remember that. Remember when that, that, 
<laughs> you could tell stories. Hey, remember this one right here? Remember that, Johnny? You know, whatever. Because they had stories. They had wound stories. They had scar stories. They had stripe stories. And Jesus says, see, my stripes heal yours. And it tells you this. You can endure it. You can respond rightly to it. In the most difficult of all circumstances, you can do it. And the last one, verse 25, is the last reason. See the last little F-O-R, verse 25? For you were straying like sheep, wandering off. And it actually means someone was leading you astray through deception. In other words, remember before the shepherd came? Remember before I found you? You wouldn't have understood any of this. He said, you wouldn't have got any of this. You were just like everybody else. And that's a quotation of Isaiah 53, 6. But, strongest adversative, but now, see, this is like the old uh, the, the washing machine and the detergent, you know, before and after picture. You were this, dirty, now you're clean, super white. He said, you used to be this. You used to be like sheep straying. You didn't have any idea how to live your life. But see, I came along and I died for you and my death transformed you. You have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It's interesting. I looked it up today. You know the word returned is used in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, and Peter writes this passage. That's the exact words Jesus said to him. Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have returned, strengthen your brethren. You know what returned is? Repent. Turn completely around. Here's what Jesus says. You think it's too hard what I'm asking you to do? Remember, he's going to argue from the greater to the lesser. You remember, I turned you around when you wanted nothing to do with me. You were a sheep going away from me, and I turned you around and completely reversed your whole life, your desires, your deeds, and your destiny. I did that. You don't think that I can do this? You think this is too much for me? You returned to the shepherd over. I'll watch. I watched over your soul to bring you to salvation, and I can watch over your soul and how you live your sanctification. See, I can do it all, he says. I'm the shepherd. I'll take care of you. I know you're a sheep and you tend to stray off and you don't think that you can do this, but with me you can. If you'll follow my example, if you'll be like Jesus, he says someday, and I close, not the only time he talks about being a shepherd in 1 Peter, he closes in chapter 4 where he says when to pastors and leaders, you know, the chief shepherd's going to come someday and he's going to give us the crown of glory. See, Jesus is going to shepherd you from the beginning to the end. And he's going to watch over you and he can help you. I See, I don't know in your everyday life what you're facing. And sometimes you want to just wave the white flag and throw in the towel and say it's over with. I'm not doing this anymore. I don't have to take this abuse. You know, I know how that works. And you want to fold up your marriage and say, I'm done. Here's what Jesus says. You can endure it with my help. Follow my example. Find the power in my cross. Submit yourself. Protect yourself, yes. Submit yourself and say, God, I want you to use my life to be like Jesus, even in this.
even in this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth tonight. We certainly know that some of God's people might be in situations no one tonight is asking someone to put themselves in harm's way or to stay in an abusive situation. But it's when we suffer for your sake, Lord, if that would be our calling someday, and we're called on to do that, help us to learn now how to respond rightly to the problems and the difficulties and the obstacles we face. Sometimes, Lord, and maybe so, so uh, some of us feel this way tonight, emotionally it's very difficult, maybe almost impossible for us, we think. But then we look again at your cross and we look at your son and we see his example and realize that there's nothing he's asked us to do that he hasn't done already himself. Help us to follow in his steps for his glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.